You are listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Pittsfield campus. Today we're going to talk about God's plan for us, God's plan for mankind. Because, you know, we, we fail and, and the kind of uh, wreck things, I guess, as far as God's concerned. Because we fell out of relationship with Him. We fell out of communication with Him. We fell out of, uh, we were disconnected from God. We kind of talked about that last week. And, but He's got a plan for us. He's got a plan. He's got a big dream for us. He had a big dream for us in the, in the Garden of Eden when He created us. And He had a big dream for us now, today, even now through all the mess that we've created. God has, has a plan for us. He created us in His image and in His likeness, right? He created us to look like Him. He created us to be able to reason like Him, to think through things. God created us, and no other beings, no other animals were created in God's likeness, in God's image, right? Only us, because He loves us, and, and He wants that closeness with us. He wants us to be close with Him. He wants us to be in relationship with Him. He wants that so badly. He wants it so badly because we're so disconnected. We were disconnected in the, in the garden. But God has a plan. He has a plan. God has a plan for mankind. And so we, we left Adam and Eve in the garden and, and with the serpent. And the serpent was cursed. And, and after the fall, we can read, continue reading in Genesis. And we see that the earth turned evil very quickly. That there was evil upon the earth. We saw Cain kill his brother Abel, right? And God, we see all through, as you read through Genesis 3, through Genesis 5, you see, it, it, it kind of spells it out. It talks about how this person lived and died. This person lived so many years and died. This person lived so many years and died. We see the curse of sin on us is that man died, brought death upon us, Right? But then in, in Genesis 5, we can see that God did have a friend. If you look in Genesis 5 and verse 22, we can see what it says about God. And, and he had a friend even through all this living and dying and, and all these generations of, of, of mankind living and dying. In Genesis 5, 22, it says, After he begat Methuselah, Enoch, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So God found a friend in Enoch. He walked with God. Enoch was with God. But the earth continued in these wicked ways. We can see, we can read through Scripture how man became so wicked and so evil to the point in, in Genesis 6, verse 6, it says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. We got to the point where mankind got so evil and the earth became so evil that God became sorry that he had even created us. Can you imagine how much God's heart was grieved because mankind had gone so far off base? And God's grieving heart, oh, I wish I just hadn't created them because they're so far gone from what I created them to be. They're not getting the best of what I created for them. Because they're so far gone and because evil has become so much a part of this world. And then in verse 7 it says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But then verse 8 says, But Noah found grace 
in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, this one man, found grace in the eyes of the Lord because this one man walked with God. This one man followed God. This one man was obedient to the Lord. Noah. And God found grace. God gave him grace. He found grace with God. So this whole flood story, and you probably all know the flood story. You know about Noah and the flood. And this whole flood story isn't so much, it's not so much about God's vindication on earth or God's vindication to mankind as it is about God's long-suffering and his faithfulness and his caring for mankind, his daily delight. Because he found one, he found one that would accept his grace. He found one that would walk with him. And then we can continue through the Old Testament and we see God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness, even after the flood, which, which was an incredibly long-suffering and faithful thing for God to do. Then we see Abram, who became Abraham. We see Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. We see Moses, all these men, and demonstrate God's faithfulness to them. God made promises and God kept promises. He was always faithful, always faithful to his daily delight, always faithful. And then we can skip over into uh, the book of Exodus where the story of Moses takes place. So Exodus 19 and 4. We see where God was raising up Moses to lead the Israelites out of captivity there in Egypt. And and God says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You, You saw how I delivered you from the Egyptians. You saw how I set you free from the slavery of Egypt. You saw that, Moses. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God, in his long-suffering and his faithfulness, brought Moses out of captivity, brought the Israelites out of captivity, out of slavery, to himself. He saved them from captivity. He saved them from slavery and brought them to himself. The, The God's desire, the Creator's desire to be close, to have this close relationship with what he created, with us, his creation, God's great desire. And, and his faithfulness and his long-suffering continued. And then the next verse in, in chapter 19 of Exodus, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. You shall be a special treasure. What is a special treasure? A special treasure to God. It sounds a lot like a daily delight. God's promise again for mankind to be his daily delight through Moses. God is faithful. God's story never changes. His love for us is so faithful and so true. Daily delight. Special treasure. God loving his people, loving his creation so much. Then we can skip over even further in in the story of Moses in Exodus 29 and Uh, verses 44 to 46, and God says, So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priest. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. I will dwell among the children of Israel. I'm going to be among you and be your God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God, wanting to be with his people. Can you imagine these, Egypt, these uh, Israelites who had been released from Egypt, wandering in the desert, this dry, dirty, dusty place, the desert, the wilderness. 
God who lives in heaven and all the grandeur, all the beauty of heaven. God says, no, I want to come and live with you. Build me a tabernacle. Build me a place to be with you. God wants to be with us. He desires to be with us. His daily delight. God, leaving heaven, leaving the beauty of heaven to become one of us, to dwell among us here, to dwell with Moses and the Israelites in the desert, in the wilderness. God and his love for us. God and his love for us. And then we see through the, the rest of the Old Testament, you can read entirely through the Old Testament, and you see time after time after time, man's evil ways. We can see where it says, and, and they did what was right in their own eyes. The kings of Israel who would come into power and do what was right in their own eyes and become evil. But God's long-suffering and His faithfulness continued. God continued, no, I want to be with you. I want to be, after they built the temple, I want to be in the temple with you. I'm going to leave my heavenly place to be with you in this temple, in this tabernacle. Then we can skip over to, to the very end of the Old Testament where God continues to make promises thousands of years later, thousands of years after Moses. Zechariah 2 and verse 10 and 11. Zechariah is at the very end of the Old Testament. And this is God speaking through Zechariah. Zechariah speaking what God told him to speak. And he says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. I'm coming and I'm going to dwell with you. I still love you. I know that you've been far away from me. I know all the evil that has come on the earth and, and all of the, the evil ways. But I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to dwell with you. It's a foretelling of Jesus. I'm coming in humanly form, in humanly fleshly form as Jesus the Son of God. So at this very end of the Old Testament, God continues to be faithful. He continues His promises to us. He continues in His long-suffering. And then God was silent. Scripture goes silent for 400 years. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, scholars tell us that there was a 400-year period where God didn't speak through the prophets. It was silence. The people of Israel didn't have a prophet speaking God's word to them. There was silence for 400 years. But then this little girl, this little Israelite girl, this little Jewish girl named Mary heard God's voice. She was obedient to him and she said, God, whatever you want, I will do. Because God told her this crazy story about having a baby, the son of God, and she wasn't even married. And God said, no, you're going to have a baby and it's going to be of me. And He's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. So Mary heard from God. After 400 years of silence on earth that God hadn't been speaking, Mary hears from God, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. The second of the Trinity who's going to come and be on earth and be one of us. The one who calls us his daily delight is going to be here. He chose to leave heaven, his heavenly throne with his Father to come and to be one of us, to be one of us, to be like us. Philippians says it this way, that says, Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the gospel. Jesus coming from heaven to be one of us, to be obedient to his Father even to the point of death, death on the cross. Wow, why would Jesus do this? Why would God do this? Why would God's heart so much for us, to be with us, to dwell with us? Why would he do that? The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who made all of creation. He made all of this, all of this provision that Rich spoke of that he made for us. The, the tomatoes and the, and the wonderful things, all the textures and flavors and all the great things that God created for us. All the tiny little intricate details. He spun the planets into place perfectly. Why would God do that? He created us in His image and in His likeness. Why would God do that? He made mankind. He made us to be like Him. And He put us in the garden to walk with Him. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve every day. God with them, dwelling with them. This powerful and intelligent and creative God wanted to be with His creation. Wanted to be with His friend, Adam and Eve. And, and then men, men failed. We fall. We fell. We fell from God's grace. We fell from following God. We were disobedient. We wanted to do it our own way. But God was relentless in His love. He was relentless in His love. He is relentless in His love. He's always faithful to His promises. He's always long-suffering with His friends. Delivered them from slavery, the Israelites in the Old Testament. Providing manna for them in the desert. When they had nothing to eat, He provided for them every day. Manna from heaven, God provided. He rose up leaders among them, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to be one of us. Why would God do that? Imagine the love. Imagine the love of the Father toward us. Why would He do that? How can it be? How does it unfold this way? Why does it unfold this way? Well, I think we can look in the Scripture in the book of Matthew and see that Jesus is going to give us a little bit of a hint, a little bit of a, uh, a, a glimpse into why God did this. We look in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. Matthew 13, 44. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells that. He sells all that he has and buys that field. So this man, and this, this parable, this story of Jesus is often taught is a story about us finding Jesus, this, this valuable treasure that we find Jesus. And I think maybe that's a great way to tell this story, but I think we can look at it a little bit differently today. We can take a different angle, a different look at it. And we can see something different. We can see just a little glimpse of how God feels about us, about how God loves us, about his plan for us. His plan to reconcile us. His plan to bring us back to Him. Let's read again. Matthew 13, 44. One little verse. A whole story in one little verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A treasure hidden in a field. It's an interesting way to look at it. That, that this treasure in this big field. We, we have a field as big as acres and acres. And there's this one little treasure underneath and this man goes and, and sells all that he has. And, 
What does that mean to us? Well, well, if you look back just a few verses where Jesus was teaching, where he's talking about explaining some of his, uh, his previous parables. In verse 38, he says, The field is the world, and good seeds are the son of, of the kingdom. So the field, Jesus said, is the world. Right? So Jesus, who looks at us and looks at the world and says, Okay, well, maybe, maybe the world is this field. And in it is this little treasure, this little treasure. And, and I'll call this little treasure my church. This little treasure that, that I find in this big, big field is the church. And I'm not going to just go and sell everything I have and buy the little treasure. I'm going to buy the whole field. I'm going to buy the whole field. God bought the whole world for us, right? For us. The field is the world. God. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A treasure hidden in a field. The field is the world. If the field is the world, then the treasure is us, the church. The church. The man went and bought the whole field. He didn't just go buy the treasure. He bought the whole field, the whole world. Ephesians 6 and 20. It tells us, for you were bought with a price. We were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God bought us with a price. He went... And sent his son to buy the whole world so that he could be one of us again. He could have us drawn back to him. He could be reconciled with us. He could come back with us. Jesus sold all the riches. Jesus left all the riches of heaven. Everything was his in heaven. Everything is at his beck and call in heaven. And he left that to become one of us. To become one of us. If you look in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, we, we see and we read this a lot at weddings, and you hear this a lot uh, uh, spoken at weddings. It's, it's how man is supposed to treat his wife and how he's supposed to love her like Jesus loved the church and about how the wife needs to submit to the man. and That's okay because the man loves her so much that he's going to die for her, and, and it all works out. And we, and we hear about that, and we read about that at, at, at weddings and in marriages. But then in verse 12 of chapter 5, it goes a little bit further than that. It's a little bit more than a wedding. It's a little bit more than one couple. It says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Jesus and the church. Jesus is the bride of the church. No, Jesus is the bridegroom. <laughs> I was testing you. We're the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. I know, guys, for some of us, that may seem a little creepy to be considered the bride of Christ. But that's what the Scripture tells us, that the church is the bride of Christ. So we just have to get over that and be okay with it. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus, the bridegroom. So, guys, look at it this way. What do we do? We're falling in love. Oh, we're so in love with this young lady and we want to marry her, right? We want to ask her to marry us. Marry us. Now, when I was so much falling in love with Kathy, and it didn't take long because she's awesome, but we went up to the beach one day, and I probably didn't do it the right way, but we were sitting on some rocks out by the, the jetty out there and at Wales Beach, and I said to her, I looked at her lovingly, and I said... I was thinking about asking you to marry me. <laughs> and she didn't answer for a long time. You talk about some awkward silence. 
Hmm. So a little later, a few minutes later, we were walking back on the beach, and I was like, you didn't really give me an answer. She says, well, you didn't really ask me a question. (laughs) You said you were thinking about it. But I'm really the smart one on this. So I had an out. So if she said no, I was just thinking about it. I wasn't really going to do it. I was just thinking about it. But thank God she said yes. But guys, how do we do it? I saw a picture on Facebook of Johnny Reed who led our worship today. And he was doing this on the beach, right? With Chelsea. I want you to marry me. Guys, when we do that, what do we do? We get on our knees and we look in her eyes and we say, what an honor it would be. What an honor it would be if you would marry me, if you'd be my wife. And just think about Jesus. Wanting the bride of Christ, his church, he humbles himself. He comes to be one of us and humbles himself and says, what an honor it would be if you would just be my bride, if you would be the bride of Christ, if you would follow me, if you would let me be your Savior, let me be your Lord. What an honor it would be. What an honor it would be to be part of the bride of Christ. The posture of showing honor. He would love to have us as his bride. And and so we came to be one of us. Even after all this, after all the evil of the Old Testament, after all the evil of today that we see, Jesus comes and gets on one knee and says, Oh, I want to be with you. I want you to be my bride. I want you to be my bride. And the New Testament continues with that theme the theme of the bride and the groom and, and marriage and between Jesus and his church. In Revelation, we can see. I told you I'd get you through Revelation. <laughs> Revelation 19. We see even toward the end where Jesus is talking to us. Through John, God was, was giving him this vision in the book of Revelation, the, the apostle John. And, Revelation 19, 6, it says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. This marriage that that Jesus has been waiting for, this marriage that he's been pursuing us for, this time where he wants us to be his bride has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. This marriage supper of the Lamb, this, this marriage feast, God, Jesus returning to be with us. Blessed are we. The lamb is coming for his wife. Verse 8 says, It was granted to her to be arrayed in fine linen. Even after all the junk, after all the evil, after all the dirt and, and, and muck that we kick up, Jesus is going to dress his bride and arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. He makes all things new. Jesus makes all things new. And then in verse 9, it says, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper. We are blessed 
because we're called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are blessed. Not only blessed that we're saved from hell. Yes, Jesus came and he saved us from, from hell. He gives us his salvation. But we're blessed that we get to be with him in eternity. Be with him for eternity. For now and throughout eternity, we get to be with the Savior. We get to, the Holy Spirit in us, God in us, even now and through eternity. So it's more than being saved from hell. It's being able to spend time with our Savior, being able to spend time with our Creator for eternity. You know, it's not just great that I'm married to Kathy so that I don't have to be lonely and eat frozen burritos for the rest of my life. (laughs) It's great that I'm married to Kathy because we get to be together. We get to spend time together. We get to love one another. Blessed to spend time with my daily delight. That's Jesus looking at us, and He's blessed spend time with us because he's invited us to this marriage feast. John, if you want to come up. And then we look at, the, at Revelation 21, verses 2 and 3, and it continues John speaking through this, this vision that God has given him. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Once again, a bride adorned for her husband, clean and new. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Throughout Scripture, from the very first chapter, God wants to dwell with us way back in Moses' day, he says, build this tabernacle for me. Let me dwell with you. I don't, I don't need all the riches and I don't need all the glory of heaven. I want to dwell with you in this tabernacle, in this dirty, dark wilderness. And as he finishes the book of Revelation, and, and it talks about this new Jerusalem coming down. Once again, God says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The tabernacle of God is with men and He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. God wanting to dwell with us. The story of the Bible, the story of God's love. One story. God loves us and wants to be with us. He wants to dwell with us. God's big dream for men is that He would dwell with us. That He would be with us. That we would allow Him to be in us. Not just saved from hell be with him for eternity to be with our creator reconciled redeemed to be with him throughout eternity because mankind is the delight of God's daily delight we are the delight of God's daily delight so what is our response what is our response to this considering his love and and considering his desire to dwell among us and For all that he has done from the very first chapter. In the Old Testament, he put his tabernacle there among the people. And in the New Testament, he sends his one and only son to be with us, to show us the way, to bring salvation. And then we see even at the end of the age, God, this new Jerusalem, this new tabernacle, God dwelling with us, his great plan for us to dwell with us. Jesus, we see the picture of Jesus on his knees wanting to be betrothed to us, wanting to be engaged with us, with us, proposing to us the bride of Christ. Our response, 
It's really kind of simple. Our response is to love Him. Our response is to receive Him as as Lord of our lives, as Savior of our lives. Not just to be saved from hell, but to be saved into this new kingdom, into this new place where God is with us. To invite His Holy Spirit to be in us, to live in a new way, to live and find joy and peace and contentment in this provision, even as Rich spoke earlier, that God wants to be with us, to dwell in us. So our response to Him is receiving Him as Savior. Accepting the Holy Spirit, the fullness that He wants to bring our lives through the Holy Spirit. Our response is to say yes to the bridegroom. Our response is to say yes to the bridegroom. To say yes, I'll be your bride. Yes, I want to be betrothed to you. Yes, I'm going to follow you. Yes, I'm going to do all I can do to be obedient to you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Our response is yes to the bridegroom. To say yes to the proposal. So even as we pray today, if you would bow your heads and, and close your eyes. I know, I know most of you in here and I know most of you in here are, have said yes to, to his salvation. You said yes to, to Jesus to, to be your savior. But there's more. There's so much more. The fullness of his Holy Spirit. Being betrothed to the bridegroom for eternity, to live with our Creator for eternity. So as we pray and as you consider this and you consider where you are, where you stand right now in this whole process that we call life, maybe there are some who need to say, yes, Lord, I need you to save me. Yes, Lord, I need your salvation. There are many who, who might say, yes, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit filling. I need to be full Holy Spirit, full of you, Lord. Many of you are in a place where maybe you see you need to say, yes, Lord, I'm full of your Holy Spirit. You have filled me. And now you need to send me out to share this great news of this great wedding feast that, that I'm invited to. So even, even where you are, I just pray or just ask you to pray and ask God what your response is. Lord Jesus, we pray that, that you would speak to us now, Lord, that your words would be searing our hearts, Lord, that you, your words would be speaking to us. God, that we would know our response to the Savior. We would know our response to the bridegroom. Lord, there are some who need to say, yes, yes, I want Jesus to be my Savior. Yes, Lord. There are some who need to say, yes, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord. There are some who need to say, yes, Lord, send me. Send me out to this world, Father, to to share this great news about this wedding feast, Lord, that I'm invited to, that you've cleaned me up for, that you've arrayed me in beauty and, and cleanness. Lord, I don't deserve it, but I need to go and share and let others know. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Give us wisdom. Give us direction, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask if our prayer team would come down front. If you have things that you would like prayer for, if, if you some of these things maybe touched you today, that, that you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
Somebody can pray with you and, and go through that with you. If you need to accept Jesus as your salvation, so let someone pray with you. If you need healing, physical healing, let someone pray with you. We believe that the bridegroom heals. So Lord Jesus, as we dismiss, we just ask your Holy Spirit to be with us, to fill us, Lord. We thank you, God, for this great love story of yours. We thank you, God, for for the beautiful love story that you've given us, that you have this great plan for mankind. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com 